the podcast called The Smartest Guy in the Room, where we'd like to wrestle and fight verbally to see which one of us is going to be smarter than the other. Full well knowing that both of us, that is Matt Smith and Jerry Dempsey, your hosts, never pretend to be the smartest guy in the room. And sometimes we find that keeping your mouth shut and listening can help you gain an edge in the battle to be the smartest man in the room or guy or gal. Matt, welcome. What's going on, buddy? Thanks for having me. I would love to have you. Hey, now. <laughs> so today we're going to talk. there's anything wrong with that. I mean, exactly. There never is. Consensuality. <laughs> um, we're going to talk, folks, today about a hot topic. But we're going to do it in a way that, you know, presents us with a journey again. We're looking, trying to understand. As Nietzsche once said, we're born in the labyrinth. We're trying to find our way out of it. But, you know, while reading Nietzsche, as I often do with my seven-year-old daughter, um, I decided one day, I'm like, maybe I'm the Minotaur. Or maybe I should just set up camp inside and make the labyrinth my home. Because, well, it is our home. What do you think of that, Matt? Is that too deep for the morning? Uh, I've never read Nietzsche. It's uh, Nietzsche's is a bar in Buffalo. I've gone there, but I've never read Nietzsche. And well, I've never saw the movie Labyrinth, because it looks dumb. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting self-exploration. I can't talk this morning. I shouldn't start drinking so early. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, you can go inside your head for a while and hang out. But yeah. you need to come out. And you need to go explore the world around you. Oh, I explore. Um, I explore. Yeah, I've seen a lot of your pictures and I enjoy them. Do you want to tell us a little bit? For our topic today, just to before we jump into these sideways conversations, is corporate America. And the, we pose the question, is it devil or is it an angel? In other words, is it a savior or is it going to be the death of America or just our global system in general. Sounds like a deep topic, but Matt and I like to swim in the shallow end of the pool. So we're gonna stay there for everybody. Um, and with that, I do wanna ask you though, I like your your photography. Can you tell us a little bit how you got into that? Uh, how did I get into it? Well, it's an extension of being a journalist. And uh, when I left the traditional news business uh, I still wanted to tell stories and I s wanted to start doing it in a different way and uh, picked up a camera and tried to start telling some stories visually and uh, you know I like to take photos of uh, the urban landscape you know kind of uh, what people think might be traditionally ugly I like to try to capture some of the beauty and the ugliness. Is that poetic enough for you? Yeah, you know, looking at your... I love it. Um, I don't really consider myself a photographer as much as someone that just takes photos. You know, I, I, uh, I, know, so I know real photographers. Um, but um, I've got an eye. I don't really have a lot of the technical skill. Not yet. Um, I try to learn it, but some of that stuff is... You know, I don't know. It takes the creativity away from me for for uh, 
takes the creativity out of it for me. And then I, my eyes gloss over and, uh, I kind of compare myself to someone who learns how to play the guitar on their own, uh-huh. as opposed to formally. Uh, I really should take some formal steps and I wish that I had the patience to do so, but, uh, uh I kind of like to just get out and explore. Yeah. Looking at your, and being a, a student of life, as I like to refer to myself as, um, I like the way you said that because when I look at your pictures, I don't come to the table with a preconceived, you know, expectation of, of what I'm going to get. And what I like to do is I'll look at anything and I'll try to imagine that I'm you taking this picture. And then I explore the picture saying, what am I seeing or what is my version of Matt Smith that's living in my head seeing that made this a photograph you wanted to take. And so people, then I'll people go can on. go to mattsmithimages.com. Shameless self promotions. Yeah. Shameless I have. Plug. So let's get back into uh, corporate America. Tell us your story, Jerry. So, you know, I've, I've worked in corporate America since 1990 and I retired in 2018, vowing to never work for another person. Besides myself, okay? Uh, saved a bit of money to allow that dream to actually come to reality. And, um, you know, corporations get kicked around for being greedy, CEO pay being what it is, extravagant. Um, but I think when you look at corporations, you have to think about the people that run them. Right. I worked in IT for a company that was on the forefront of driving what's now called the Internet, you know, and I worked for them when not too many people were even on the Internet. And it was interestingly enough, when I first started working at this company, there was only one industry making money leveraging the Internet, Matt. And just from a trivia point of view, could you guess or take a swag at what industry that was? Making money on the internet is the is the. Focus I'm point. going to guess porn. Bingo. It was far and away like the only viable business. I mean, there were other businesses having a web presence and information, uh, but from a transacting and revenue generating, porn was was uh, was at the top of the heap. And in fact. I moved to California in 1998 to take a field job in this IT industry. And I serviced Central Valley of California, some Bay Area, Sacramento, uh, to the Oregon border, and the state of Nevada. So after being in that role for a few months, I met um, a guy in Las Vegas, of all places, that wanted to buy two very high-end routers. And a router, just for for simple, you know, keep it simple, allows you to move data, huge swaths of data across the internet in very, you know, quick fashion. Okay, complicated data, voice, video, right? Blah blah blah. Email. Um, but you're talking about half a million dollar sale from a guy that we didn't know wasn't, you know, wasn't the government, 
wasn't military and it wasn't any kind of institution or like an AT&T or a Sprint or one of those guys or a Verizon that typically would buy that type of equipment, okay? Mm -hmm. And so being the curious kid that I am, I'm like, what are you going to do with these? Are you setting up your own internet service provider? He said, no, I'm streaming porn. <laughs> and then, you know, my little oh. Catholic boy inside of me was like, I, I don't know if I should sell you these routers. <laughs> and then when I told my boss about it, he's like, yeah, we'll book that order as quick as we can get it. As quick as he can clear the credit, you know, his credit limit. So anyway, you know, and this guy... You know, again, you get thrust into these business situations with people that you wouldn't normally probably hang out with on a day-to-day -day basis. But that, I find it experiences like that eye-opening because, as a, again, as a sheltered kid, and I never saw myself as sheltered till I really got out in the world and saw what the world was like. You realize just how sheltered of a life you you prob probably lived as a kid. So, are you saying you're responsible for uh, internet yes. porn? I started internet porn in on Industrial Ave, which is like a the backwater street uh, that runs behind the you know Las Vegas Boulevard or the the strip as they call it. Yeah, this guy had uh, women in rooms that were broadcasting you know requests for different types of activities, all broadcast over the internet. And again, this is when video was so choppy. I don't know what, what your first taste of internet porn was, but if it came over your computer being plugged into your phone line, you know, the experience probably wasn't all that great. I'm not really a porn guy, but, you know, uh, I can't imagine what it would be like growing up as a teenager with that shit, you know, that so yeah. accessible. You remember when we were teenagers? We, we, we went to... We went to high school out on the lake in uh, out in Buffalo, and down the road near the Ford plant, there was that uh, the lakeside, <laughs> which was a strip joint. Yeah, and you know the <laughs> the strippers there were they used to they used to come on this. It wasn't even a stage; it was just a f dance floor, and they would bring their they would bring their own uh, their own boombox. And they'd put the cassette tape in, and these strippers, you know, they, and then these strippers were, they were like, <laughs> they were not attractive women, you know, you know, they they had beer guts, and but we were fifteen, and yeah, <laughs> I uh, I don't know if and, I ever and, went and, to that one. We were willing to set, we we were willing to settle for that, so I can't imagine what it would be like for. Well, I mean, my kids, I guess, grew up with that shit, you know, and uh. But Jesus, God. So you're the one responsible. Well, what's even more interesting was um, as a sales guy, part of your job, I mean, it's pretty simple. You make everybody happy. You tell them what they want to hear. And you separate the customer from their money. And you hopefully give them something in place that's of value to them. Right? right. And you have to make them. Part of it is really being a trusted advisor, being someone who is looking out for their best interest because customers have to spend money and they don't want to fuck up. And as a sales guy, if you think like that, like I'm here to help you. And if you think, again, this is my business or if this is my McDonald's, my version of, you know, my own, my own small business, 
yeah. anyone, you know, when I would do new hire training for my company, this is what I would tell the younger people. I would say, you know, you can be interesting and you can be interested. You're young, you don't know shit. So you should be interested in your customers and what they do. Then once you've collected that data, you figure out how your product solves their problems. And then you let them know. And you do it in a way that makes them think it's their idea. Because that way, they'll be happier to buy more. And they'll like you because you make them look better. Um, and I think, I mean, from, from my perspective, I've always been a huge proponent of corporate America. I've, I've been a part of the good. I've always been in this. I've been in the stock market since 1992. I've owned stocks, and and again, we've. I think you and I touched on this before, but that senior class, you were in there with me. I think with Coach Smith. Now, he's no relation to you, is he? Because nope. that's not a common name. Um, no. Yeah, but when he did that whole stock thing, uh, you know, as a newspaper boy and delivering the Buffalo News and the Courier Express when it was still around. I think when I was like 12, it went under. But I used to look at all those stock things, and I remember IBM, and I remember other ones. Um, you know, I, I was always fascinated by th that money. Even, and I'll tell you, this is so dumb, but do you remember the Adams family, how Gomez Adams was always looking at a stock ticker? Yeah. Like, I always found that fascinating. I'm like, I want to be like that, where I'm playing the stocks, you know? And then uh, I think there was a movie with Rodney. So he was a day trader, huh? I always well, wonder what he did for a living. Well, okay. So there's a couple of things. That that term day trader gets kicked around and it, it gets misunderstood like a lot of things in life. I mean, the people that trade stocks, right? They, they're trading options a lot of times. They can trade their own stocks. But you've ho heard of calls and puts, right? Right. So simple enough, a call is you placing a bet that a certain stock is going to go up over time. And a put is that same bet to the downside. You are betting that the bills are gonna lose the Super Bowl. You're betting that Microsoft is gonna go down in the next six months. And a lot of these guys are just playing that up and down of the market. And that's, you know, again, you're supposed to be driving a stock to its proper value. That's how it, it's just a big game, right? Yeah. Well, I'm, the, I'm taking, I took you off the off the road though. Here, we're we're we. We're yeah, but it's part. Yeah, but listen to me. Not necessarily because corporations, you know, that is where the money is. You know, do you remember when we were little kids, Matt, and you had a bank account, and you know you got. I don't know, seven, eight percent interest from just your kid bank account. Maybe you had a thousand dollars in there. Yeah. That doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> right. <clears throat> I mean, today, if you were to go buy a house and you had really good credit, you could get an interest rate or a mortgage rate of under three percent. Now, I don't know if you know about what your parents went through, but my parents bought the house we lived in in 1975. They had a double digit interest rate, I believe. So 10% was their mortgage rate. That's like highway robbery when you consider it. And then you look at credit cards that are 25%. I mean, that's like mafia kind of uh, loan sharking. Right. And you really, yeah, but your average person, you know, they get a credit card. I just got one unsolicited from Visa in the mail the other day. And I, showed, I took my son through it. 
I'm like, see, they just gave me a $10,000 limit unsolicited. Now, a lot of people would say, oh, that's money I get to spend. But what I look at it like, that's um, money that's going to lock me into owing someone for a very long time. Um, so, I mean, when we talk about corporations, we're really just talking about groups of people that have a goal. Right. They have a vision. They put it together a strategy, but they're trying to deliver value to the world. And our job as consumers and at, just as citizens is to hold people responsible to their deliverables. You know, when GE was polluting the Hudson River, one, like I can't sit here and I've read a bunch of, about it, but I can't tell you that they knew what they that what they were doing was was as toxic as we know it to be now. I mean, do you know that? I don't, but why should that uh, excuse them from later on owning up and writing that wrong? That's a great question. I mean, I don't have an answer other than to say the fact that they, you know, I mean, that wouldn't hold up in, in any criminal court. Well, you know, I didn't know it. They paid, <laughs> yeah, but they did pay millions of dollars, but they still can't, they can't clean the Hudson River because every time they tried to, it makes it worse because the PCBs that are settled in the sediment on the bottom well, just I mean, start. That's, that's been up for debate. Really? Yeah. I, mean, I covered that for a while when I was. Did you really? Yeah. Uh, when I was based at the state capitol. But um, let's stay on track, though. I don't want to okay. go down a rabbit hole about GE and the Hudson River. I'm just saying that whether they knew it at the time. It doesn't excuse them from writing the wrong because they did it. That's that's not in dispute. They did it. Right. So. I mean, I guess, you know, I'm not trying to sum it up either. I'm just trying to look at, like, what is. What is our role as consumers, as people? You know, I, we all have Apple phones. You have a Mac. And you hear all the time that they use slave labor in China to build their equipment. I mean, do we have a responsibility to that? <laughs> That's a great question because, I mean, you're, they, in a way, they kind of have your balls in a sling. Uh, I work for one of the nation's, I do communications, I work for one of the nation's largest public sector labor unions. And, you right. know, we're, we're, we're all about, you know, worker rights and human rights and but yet you know our building is stacked with apple machines yeah and, i mean it's true and and i you know i i'm not a i'm not one of those people who will stand in line or you know wait on online all night long to be one of the first people to buy the new apple phone you know i'm not i know people who are apple crazy but i haven't worked on their products. I like their products, you know, better than uh, uh, PCs. So, I mean, what, does that make me a hypocrite? Probably in some way, but, you know, I have to be part of the human race, too. Well, I mean, it's like uh, that girl, Greta. I mean, I actually found her very interesting. But then, like everything else, you know, she becomes like a wishbone that people are fighting over. And, you know, you got people tearing her down and, you know, so anyone that steps up and tries to have a voice just becomes a target. Right. And, 
you know, I don't, I don't know what the answer is other than you keep slogging along and you try to do the right thing. And you try not to be a hypocrite yourself, you know, because anytime you got a group or an institution, it's still made up of people. You know? Um, yeah. I, I've never worked in corporate America. And so I, I, I don't feel uh, that I, you know, um, can contribute a ton. I don't think that I would, I don't think I would fit in to corporate America, you know. Um, I I often, I, like, I've been in communications for 31 years, and um, sometimes I'll read, like, job descriptions, job ads in corporate America in the communications field, and, uh, you know, they'll say something like, manage the hierarchy of communication channel mixes for the optimization of information definitions. Yep. Or, uh, like, foster the establishment of key external thought leadership to amplify and provide maintenance into said leadership's complex insights. Like, what the fuck are you saying? I've been in this direction for 31 years, (laughs) and and I'm decent at it, and I don't (laughs) understand what... I'm not qualified to even read your ad, let alone apply for the fucking job. So, I mean, I don't... You know, if, if that's the way they're communicating then they're doing a shitty job because, you know, do you think about the most effective communication campaigns, you know, like where's the beef or, you know, do it or even God forbid, you know, make America great again, which to me has (laughs) awful fucking connotations, but it's it's simple. And by the way, by the way, by the way, you know, make America great again. That worked because, well, I mean, we could go down a whole rabbit hole with that too. The climate of America. <laughs> yeah, but now but we get to build forget, back better. People forget, people forget <laughs> that in 1980, Ronald Reagan's slogan was, "Let's make America great again." Was it? Yeah, and but you know that came from a different time where he we were coming out of the Carter administration, where there what was were in, inflation was like I'm not really a criminal. Ameri- <laughs> What's that? Wait, what was Jimmy Carter's slogan? <laughs> I'm not Dick Nixon. <laughs> well, I mean, that was enough. But like, you I'm know, we, his, his his administration that had that disastrous rescue attempt of the Iran hostages. And, you know, yeah. the 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 we were we were America was in that malaise from Vietnam and and uh, inflation like just had destroyed the economy. That carried a different meaning in 1980 than it did this time around, in my opinion. But the, my going back to the point is communication should be simple. So I, you know, I I read some of this fucking language from corporations, and I'm just like, I, I don't know what you're saying. So I don't think, you know, I it's I can't sit here and criticize corporate America because uh, I don't. I just I've never worked in that environment i i mean i i see it you know and and for what for where i work they're an easy target for where i work you know you 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 um but corporations create wealth right for for um, all americans uh they are leaders in innovation they change the world you know so i mean Look at the with the COVID. Uh, you have Apple. You know they changed the world. 
Ford, you know, and Henry Ford was an awful racist and anti-unionist, but, you know, the assembly line, it changed the world. Uh, you know, drug companies, they're maligned, but, but look at who they came up with the COVID vaccine. Drug companies kept my father alive for 10 extra years. So yeah. you know, I can't just shit on corporate America. Because uh, they changed Yeah, but the we world. can call out, see that, yeah. and that's, the value is we can call that shit out. What about that skanky guy that, like, Bought the EpiPens and then jacked the price up. Like yeah, that fucking guy need you know, he got what he didn't. They put him in jail. Yeah, and they should have. But they, I mean, you know, there's there's bad actors in every every yeah. there's you know in every facet of life. I was a I was a police reporter for a long time, and I met some great cops, but there's some really shitty cops. There's some really shitty journalists. There's some most journalists are honest people, you know. Uh, I mean, it's so one guy in corporate America who's jacking the price up on EpiPens or in or uh, insulin, you know, he got caught, he got put away, he should have. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, there's there is, I think a lot of the problem with when corporate America catches these breaks, it really rests with our people in office, you know. Um, like, you know, in New York state, you had all these billionaires just making money hand over fist during COVID while main people on main street who owned restaurants and shit were going under and, you know, well, hang on a second. I got to add something to that. Well, you can, just one. my one, my one, my one, what I was going to say though is, you know, so New York state's budget, there's a, there's a, giant deficit and in my opinion you're talking 81 people you know you you impose a special tax on them you could raise five billion dollars um so i mean a lot of in my opinion a lot of a lot of the people that are getting away with some of this corporate bullshit in a way i kind of blame our elected officials for you know not stepping up like in my this again, this is a, a personal view, but like Mitch McConnell with the, you know, he wouldn't, he was opposed to giving two thousand dollars to people during the COVID relief bill, but he had no problem signing off on corporate tax breaks. So, you know, yep, I guess that's where I, that's the position. Well, I, 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 I well, I see that. I just say people are corporations. Like, okay, there's a there's a fun thing people like to say how corporations don't pay taxes. And then I, I asked the question, I'm like, okay, so take Amazon, has 100,000 employees. They're all making anywhere from six figures down to minimum wage, I guess, in the warehouses, right? But if every one of those people, as far as I know, pay federal and state taxes and local taxes and consumption taxes, and that money comes from a corporation, they get paid from profitability, you know, of the Amazon or the Microsoft or the whoever. So, I mean, my question becomes, how many times did you tax that dollar? So if you want to hit a billionaire or you want to hit the CEO tax or what I've seen proposed recently where they want to tax, you know, they want to charge more for capital gains because a lot of these smart people 
they don't take an income, they get paid in stock options. So then there's, you know, capital gains tax is much lower than uh, your income tax, right? But then aren't they gaming the system? It depends on how you want to look at it. Because what I don't hear, here's what I don't hear. Can, how can the government be wiser with how they spend the money that get that comes to them? You know, um, should that does that mean that we shouldn't try though? Yeah, but hang on. There's there's getting the pot of money, and then there's how you spend it. So, I have a, a buddy of mine from work, okay, that I used to work with. Him and I were making approximately the same money, six figures, nice income, right? The guy you're talking to right now never spent my employee stock purchase money, like you buy stock uh, from your income. I saved money. I invested money in the market myself on the, you know, with my own TD Ameritrade account. This guy would cash in his employee stock purchase plan every year. He would sell his options if he ever got them, because we used to get options on top of that, and never seemed to have any money in the fucking bank. These are two people making, again, within plus or minus 10, 15 grand a year, depending on their sales numbers. You know, so it's like the ant and the grasshopper story, right? There's the guy that works and saves, and then there's a guy that's out there blowing it like fucking drunken sailor on leave. And my question becomes, because there is a fact that Trump's cuts, tax cuts, you can see the actual revenues, tax revenues collected by government were the highest ever in the history of the world in the last like couple of years. Like that's a fact that it well, gets tax, tax cuts are tax cuts show up in government accounting as spending because you're not because you're you're reducing the revenue you're taking in. No, I'm saying the government collected more like. But money. from whom? But from whom? It all well again. It is, they weren't were, collecting it from the rich. Well, people. Uh, that's not exactly true. But anyway, we're not here to argue. What I'm well, saying, you know, I mean, I understand corporations, you know, having to, uh, for lack of a better word, be beholden. I hate that word because it sounds sinister, and I don't mean it like that, but. You know, beholden to their shareholders because you know that investment is what creates oper- of the future for companies. And and but you know, by the same token, doesn't the doesn't labor create wealth? I mean, even the Bible says labor creates profit. You know, uh, and talk creates poverty. Uh, I think taking advantage of people. Yeah, I think that is always going to be bad, right? Yeah, but but you like Walmart, you know, like Walmart is taking advantage of people. When you have full time workers at Walmart on public assist, you know, on on some form of public assistance to get by, given Walmart's profits, I think that's taking advantage of people. Well, I'm not going to argue that because I mean, you and I, what was the minimum wage when we first started working? Three thirty five. Uh, three ten. Yeah. Really? And by the way, you know, I mean, you know, I get into this argument with Trump supporters all the time about the economy. Um, you know, I guess it's it's how you 
define improvement. You know, they'll I'll get they'll say the economy is improving and they have their metrics to show that, but it's also known that, you know, Americans buying power over the last 40 years has actually gone down and, you know, wages are stagnant. Yeah, hang on. That's what's not, the bucket of, what's the bucket that they're using to reference would would become my question on that one. Cuz I would tell you I could have the same discussion and say food is a zillion times cheaper now than it was 30 years not, ago. Not now. No. I I would dispute that. Shit, you Especially McDonald's, not- all the food people eat. <laughs> it's five <laughs> for five. Come on, <laughs> come on. You want to buy? You want a box of cereal? It's six fucking dollars now. You and now during COVID, if you want to buy paper towels, some paper towel uh, packs are eight bucks. <laughs> you know. Meanwhile, Jeff Bezos. You know these Amazon warehouse workers. They're not even getting by, and Jeff Bezos is wiping his ass with one hundred dollar bills. You know, I don't know. That, yeah, that's, I mean, that obscene wealth, I, I really have trouble with it. You know what? I, and you watch, um, I always feel bad for, like, some of these athlete guys. You know, you and I, we grew up, I won't speak for you, but I kind of know, but we grew up fairly hand-to-mouth, right? I mean, we weren't, I don't think either one of our sets of parents were rolling in the lap of luxury, yeah? My father never made more than $26,000 a year. Really? Yeah, um, he was a blue collar guy. He probably raised his income another, probably added ten thousand dollars on that. He started his own contracting business on the side to get his kids through college. But you know, then my mother worked. My mother was a office manager. Um, I mean, she probably brought in what, like eighteen thousand. My my father, I think, you know, we had, but we didn't like. We didn't long for anything. My, f- I think the most valuable lesson my father taught me about money, and it was one that I didn't follow, but I learned the hard way, and I passed on to my kids who are following it, uh-huh. is that it's not what you make, it's what you owe. So you go back to the credit cards. That's a valuable lesson you were teaching your kids because you know, I made every mistake in the world with credit cards when I was young, and I paid for it for a long time, when I wasn't young anymore, you know, so my, uh, my kids have known to stay away from credit cards. Yeah. They're just getting their start in life. You know, they're out of school now, out of college and on their own and they're both doing very well financially, but you know, they're, uh, they're listening to the rule or the lesson that my father taught me that I did not listen to. Interesting. I mean, my dad, I don't know what kind of money he made, but he built our house, right? And well, you said so, he made money as a as a welder. I mean, he probably made anywhere between fifty and eighty grand in the eighties and nineties, probably. I don't really know, to be honest with you. But you also had eleven kids. <laughs> well, we had eleven kids. And, it was like know, Lord of the, it was like Lord of the Flies at your house. But my dad was also industrious from the perspective of it didn't matter to him. Like we went to a junkyard, got a car for like twenty bucks, dragged it home, and he rebuilt the engine. And he's like, "Here, now you got a car." Yeah, and you've been in some of those cars I drove. They were they were real. Uh, <laughs> Remember real the lobster? 
That was my favorite. That was the one he rebuilt the engine. Yeah. Well, I mean, he tore, he tore that thing down. You talk about just stuff you never saw before. He had all the guts of the engine out. And he's like, oh, the timing chain. I'm like, there's a chain in the engine. Then he pulls out camshaft, crankshaft, all this other shit. And I'm looking at it. It's all over the floor. It's in uh, coffee cans, nuts and bolts. I'm like, I told him flat out when I was 16. I go, no fucking way you're going to rebuild this engine, Dad. And I laughed at him. And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. You know, it took him a while. A lot of He had this big Chilton's book. He'd call all his buddies. He came home. He came home one day. He's like, oh, look at this. And he, I had to help him get out of the trunk. It's a harmonic balancer. And I'm like, remember how you said that sounds like a made-up name? I'm like, Dad, that's a made-up fucking name. He's like, no, you idiot. Look. And what it does is it positions. You know how you have, like, all those fan belts on an engine? Mm. Well, they all have to be in in line with each other, right? And if you deviate, like, a eighth of an inch or a millimeter or something, it's going to fuck the whole thing up. So, and you think about the... You know, there's the air conditioning unit, there's the power steering unit, uh, and then there's the alternator. It's, and so they are all spinning off that one uh, rotation from, I guess, whatever, the little camshaft. Anyway, you know, like any good storytellers, me and you go down many roads and we don't really finish them because there is never a finish line. You just yeah. keep going. That's right. The one thing I wanted to say to you, though, about stock life market. Life is a maze. Huh? Life yeah. is a maze. Well, that's why, that's because why, I read this thing, I think it's in Nietzsche's book, The Antichrist, because I wanted to figure out if he really hated God or what the story was with that. I've heard different things from different intellectuals, which, again, you and I can both laugh and go, when do you decide you've just arrived <laughs> at the, I am now an intellectual. Yeah, I mean, people give that name to themselves, like. You know, I'm going to oh. start giving names to myself. Well, hey, no, listen, you want to do that. Get on LinkedIn and just I'm scroll baby, through. Just I'm scroll. baby Jesus for now on. Holy. <laughs> I got a T-shirt that says Jesus has your back. And it shows <laughs> Jesus with some guy in a headlock, like like a, pulling a jujitsu move on him. <laughs> I got I'm this. intellectual Jesus. That's my new name. I mean, but go on LinkedIn and just look at some of the things, you know, I. I knew this one guy. He's now a futurist. <laughs> who the fuck are these people who call the themselves fuck? influencers? What is that? I'm a futurist. And then you can get a certification, you know, from an online college that you are a certified futurist. <laughs> For only like, 10 like, I think you like can get it from coach. Trump University. <laughs> like life coach and, oh, Prager University. There's another one. There's a guy I want to take out behind the shed and beat, but that's another story. Uh, um, you know, who these people who call themselves influencers now and you know life coaches it's like shut the fuck up <laughs> but corporate america let's bring so this to up. sum it up it's it's a necessary evil and in, until you can have a better solution right because i my degree from college was economics and the one thing i always learned you know, in a world of supply and demand, I looked at it from, I have so much time in the day and that is static. Like I don't get more than 24 hours, seven days a week. That can't change. So how I spend that fucking time, you know, to me became paramount. And I'm going to say this, you say I'm a dick, whatever. But as in my job as a sales guy, I realized it was the one true profession 
where you could work the least and make the most money. So if that's selfish, then I'm fucking selfish. But I did discover that on my own, and I played it the best way I could. Hey, look, I, I'll say for my for uh, my end here, you know, not shitting on corporations or corporate America. They create wealth. They change the world. Um, I do believe that there needs to be an ethical responsibility. Yep. That some corporations need to be more mindful of. There's gross economic inequities in America that need to be addressed. But then again, equity is a theory and life's not fair. Well, I'm going to, this is my last shot. There are uh, this new term, and I don't know a ton about it, but it's ESG, Environmental, Social, and Corporate Governance. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, you can get ETFs, which is an exchange-traded fund, which is just a bucket of stocks. But people can invest in these companies that meet criteria that, you know, are environmentally conscious, are socially conscious. And they, you know, their corporate governance is strong, so so they're not they're not depleting uh, the Brazilian forest so we can have fucking some cocoa or whatever the fuck they might be making. Um, I, would, I would like to see some of these white collar criminals, though, go down hard, just as hard as some of these brown people who get caught with a bag of dope. That's always been a scam. And I mean, you know, again, I don't know where it starts and where it ends, but lumping marijuana. I mean, I have a bunch of stocks that I own now in that hemp marijuana. You can grow it here legally, but it's it's terrible. I mean, we could talk about hemp just as an industrial. You know, anything that's plastic can be made from hemp. <clears throat> and hemp's biodegradable. They make they have a house in Asheville, North Carolina, the hemp house. So they yeah. make it out of hemp crete. Oh yeah, you know we can say that for our next uh, rotation. <laughs> <laughs> but but I do think that like I think as our society, our society has advanced really fast in the last couple hundred years, and there's catching up that we have to do. And being, you know, realizing that you don't live in a fucking bubble, and if you're a corporation, you owe it to society to be fair, create value, and not be gluttonous in no matter what, whether you're Microsoft or you have a monopoly or you're a local big fish in a small pond. I mean, there is a social responsibility that corporations do have to hold themselves to. And I think that's where you and I can come together on this. And, and we can share this uh, mantle of being the smartest guy in yes. the room. I'm glad we solved this problem today. Fucking amen. It's taking a huge pressure off myself. <laughs> now I can go lay on the couch and be a fat ass. <laughs> the Bills won. Uh, that was beautiful, huh? Wasn't that great? That's right. Yeah. All right, man. Well, let's wrap this up for today. Good talking with you, as usual. We're solving problems and we're kicking ass. Stay free. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.